Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Osiris. Hey everyone, it's RJ. Before we get into the show, just wanted to let you know that this is a special episode of HF Pod. This is a quick hit of the 1228 show that we did live on stage at Hill Country Barbecue in New York City. And uh, Megan led this interview with Mike Greenhouse and Benji Eisen. And then they welcomed the Dude of Life up for a quick conversation before his band played. So this is a recap of 1228 and a conversation with the Dude of Life. We will be back on Friday afternoon with a full MSG recap, including the magical New Year's Eve show. Until then, enjoy. Okay, the music is going down. Hi, everyone. Thank you for being here. Welcome to HF Pod and the Dude of Life. RJ could not be here. I'm Megan from HF Pod, and I'm joined by two good friends and cold turkey co-hosts, Mike Greenhouse of Relics and Benji Eisen. Thanks, guys. Hi, Megan. Hi. Thanks for being here. I'm so happy to have you both here. So I wanted to start out just by talking about how you think expectations were for this run and how the year's been for fish so far. Do you want to start us off, Mike? Uh, sure, now that I have a microphone. Uh, thanks for having us. This is awesome. It's, it's also been a very long time since anyone's described Benji and I as of cold turkey. So it feels nice to uh, have a little reunion down here in the basement of Hill Country. Uh, this year's been a, a great year. I mean, I think starting with the uh, New Year's gag last year, kind of um, previewing this was going to be a 40th anniversary celebration, even though, as I've said, it's uh, a full year early. Uh, we, you know, <laughs> one, one always likes to celebrate. Um, I think there was a lot of energy going into the shows, and then... Um, of course, the, uh, the Trey Trio shows where he debuted a, a whole slew of material, which is something they've done in the past, of course, where they you know, use a, either a show or a warm-up of, of some sort to just kind of drop a bunch of new songs. And some stay in the catalog and some fade away, and then some fade away and then come back. And I, I think that's kind of, kind of seeded the last 12 months, if you will. 
How about you, Benji? Well, I think that uh, Mike definitely nailed it, and I think that one, it, it, this was tonight, or rather on uh, New Year's Eve will be the 40th, and so they kind of jumped the gun, but that being said, it feels like a little bonus year, like a lanyap, or however you pronounce it, where it was just sort of like, it, it felt, I mean, there were, there were key moments this past year where I feel like, you know, Mike once, Mike Gordon once uh, told me offhandedly about something else that in this band, in Trey's band, as he called it, that it's dialed in. And I, I almost didn't like that, because I was like, oh, it means that you, know, you can phone in. That's not true. It's dialed in to the point where they can go and they can do a, 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 like a quick spring tour, and they usually were, were in 3.0 and early 4.0. It might take a little while for them to warm up, whereas here they do the tweezer that uh, first night of the Greek, uh, which was a highlight of the year. And I just feel like this, this year has felt kind of like ever since the pandemic, all fish has felt like bonus fish. And it's also felt like uh, purposeful. And, and that led up to last night where the expectations going into it was that they were, gonna, they were going to, they don't need to warm up anymore. Yeah. You know? and, and first nights of the tours can be you know, maybe not spectacular, but at the same time, I mean, there were jams last night that were mid-tour jams. Yeah, I totally agree. I think expectations are always high for MSG, just because Fish always delivers here, so like that's their fault for doing so well here. But yeah, I think that expectations are always high at MSG. 80 for 80. Yeah, right? But this, this year has been such an excellent year of Fish. Like you mentioned, the spring tour was just unbelievable. So hot from right from the beginning and stayed consistently hot throughout. And then you have like a really strong summer tour. Thinking about the MSG run this summer, if any of you guys were there, it was incredible. What an accomplishment. Just incredible shows, all of them. And I thought the fall tour had some really, really strong moments too. So I think expectations were high, but they always are for this band. And I think the other thing that Mike uh, hit on that I think is really important is I think for Fish, the most important three days uh, of Fish this year was not with Fish. The most important three days for the band were the Trey Trio shows in, in Denver. Yeah. And that's because, uh, as, as you said, Mike, it's where he really got to debut all these songs, some of which still have not made it in, into Fish, but which are headed there. And it led us to believe, so we knew before the summer tour that Oblivion was going to be in rotation. We knew that, we knew that they weren't just going to do it once because they did it at the Trey Trio and then Tab did it again right before the tour. Mm -hmm. And we knew that they were going to meet, that that was going to be the first repeat of the tour was going to be Oblivion. It was fairly predictable. The Well as well. And I mean, I still think Perseid is a good candidate for the New Year's Eve gag, you know? And, and so uh, ever since Forward People, I've thought that. So I think that the Trey Trio shows were a highlight for Fish for the year. Yeah, that's such an interesting perspective. When I think about the 40 for 40 series that we just wrapped up, that HF Pod did this year, cataloging 40 shows from 40 years of Fish, one thing that really stood out to me, and I was talking about this on our last pod that we just recorded, was this idea of evolution and how the band evolves even when they don't need to. You think about peak periods like 95 or 97, they could have just continued doing what they have always done on those nights and those years, but they continue to find new ways to evolve. And I think like this new music, I think for sure, is definitely something that's always inspiring the band. Mike, I'd love to hear about kind of the vibes going in last night and what the first set was like for you and any highlights. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like as Benji said, the uh, the first shows is kind of um, I wouldn't want to call it a, a warm up, but it, it's definitely the first two chapters of a nine chapter book. So you can't you can't judge but the ending by you know how it starts. And there's definitely I feel like an energy to drop a lot of their uh, you know best known songs and kind of get into the 
the, the groove, if you will, of uh, being back at the garden and being back playing together on stage after uh, a couple of months off. Um, and it was interesting. So last night was the 80th show they did at Madison Square Garden, which is super impressive. You know, of course, Billy Joel's the only person who's played there more. But I, I was... <laughs> it's funny. That's uh, not going to last. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> his, his run is finite. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll have to get a couple more Baker's Dozens to, to get that number up there soon. But, you know, it's interesting because... You know, growing up in the, you know, the New York area, Fish at MSG felt like not just like a big moment for the band, but a big moment for just rock music in general. And um, especially in the 90s, but I was thinking back last night that they actually only played the Garden 12 times in the one point in error and, and of course one time in, in 2.0 and that's only 13 shows, like one Baker's dozen. So, so much of their history at the, at the Garden is tied to their you know, last two periods, if you will, which um, is something that I don't think of, because I think, you know, people think of New York and, and Fish and MSG as kind of wrapped into one now, and, and that was, it just shows how powerful those early shows were. At the same time, and to, to complement that, uh, I remember in, uh, during the New Year's run 1998, I remember walking into the garden at that little crowded bottleneck outside uh, of Penn Station, and I remember there was a news, that, uh, news crew there, and they, they asked me, what I liked about it, and they started talking to me, and the only, the only thing I remember from that was telling them that this was tradition. And that was 1998. Yeah. The tradition for me personally had started in 95, you know, and so like, it was like 95, 90, you know, it, it, it wasn't quite tradition yet, but it also feels like those Worcester Thanksgiving runs felt like tradition after just two years. Fish has a way of doing that. When, when are we getting another Worcester run? That's what I want. <laughs> Thanksgiving weekend. So Benji, how about you? What were vibes like going in, and what's your highlight from the first set? Uh, so I well, I couch toured last night. Oh right, yeah, um, but you have as, you have as, some as highlights, right? I do have highlights. How how are the vibes on couch tour? Well, here's the thing: is that is that usually on couch tour, um, I, I I mean I watch every as I imagine most of most of all of us do. I watch every note. I don't miss a, a note of fish when they play, uh, and haven't for years thanks to modern technology. But, uh, but that being said, and unlike some of my friends, like I, I, with a webcast, I treat it very much like a show. Like I'm full, full attention, you know, uh, I, I might not dance the whole time or as much or at all sometimes, but, but I'm, I'm nonetheless, it's like I'm at a show. It has my full attention. Um, and that being said, I, and I'm a lover, not a hater. I, I like more shows every, every tour than my friends do. You know, um, and, you're and the a fluffer, shows, is that what you're saying? Not really, but but I mean, I thought last night was phenomenal, though. Uh, for, Me too. You know, but uh, that being said, yeah, last night I I thought more than every one of my everyone I knew that was in the building. I think I liked the show even more, and pot, but that may be expectation because since I was home watching it, to me it felt just like we were talking about a few minutes ago. They didn't need to warm up; they just sunk right into it. The Haley's Comet, uh, which was song number two, the Haley's Comet. So Hayless Comet is a, what I've, I've heard described before as a right, white rhino, meaning that every single time they play it, you want it to jam. Like Free's another yes, example. Yes. You want it to run away jam. You want it to jam because you know it can and you know it has. And they so often dangle that in front of us and then they don't. And Haley's Comet was like so close to that last thing. It was 10 minutes long, which is on average two, three, four minutes longer than, than typical. And, uh, and that, so it had extra mustard. But you knew right then, by, by song number two, night one, set one, them doing a little extra mustard in the song that doesn't always get it, 
that they, that was their intent. And I think that they closed the set with that, that bathtub gin and that ghost, I think were the highlights of the show, you know, arguably. Interesting. Yeah, that's a, I'll have a different take probably, but oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm going to turn it to Mike and then I'll talk about what I thought, but Mike, you were there. What was, what were the, was the crowd like? What was the vibe like? It's always, it's always a party at the garden. I mean, that was, it was great. You know, it, it feels it like, uh, even yesterday, I, I think going to the show, um, which is rare for uh, a fish MSG, there was almost a little bit of a uh, underplay vibe, you know, there, you know, you could still purchase tickets at the at the door, which doesn't always happen at the garden. In fact, rarely does. Um, that so they you know they just jumped right into the energy was high. People ha were getting back from various vacations and, and breaks around the holidays and getting as, as uh, you guys both pointed out, they kind of jumped right into it with that Haley's Comet, which of course lyrically you know the central part of town, you know being Midtown, the 80th show at the Garden, it just you know felt like the bow on top of the whole thing. Yeah, I thought they sounded super tight and really energized right off the bat. I think opening with No Men, which is like such a big song of theirs, which this is only the fourth time it's opened a show. And I think coming out and playing one of their biggest songs right away, just that, that felt good to me. And I think the whole set just found, sounded really locked in. It sounded like really textured and layered. And I thought the, the goat, gin through the ghost was just absolutely phenomenal playing. The gin was almost 18 minutes, just really, really like connected improvisation and... They just sounded really excited, and I thought Paige sounded incredible last night. He was just attacking everything. I was couch touring last night. I'm going tonight. But um, it was fun to watch from home, even. They just seemed really excited about it, and I thought the ghost was one of my favorite parts of the show, for sure. The peak was fantastic, just really strong, really high-energy peak. Sounded great. I think Trey sounds amazing. I almost got mad when they went to the ghost because I was looking at the time, and I'm like, you know, like this is one of those almost times 20? when like, it's like doing it as an encore, where you're like it's going to be truncated, you know, and it, it's going to be in a leash from the beginning. And then towards the end of it, I was like, this is, this is ghost, right? <laughs> you know? So it's, that's what you want. It's the argument for the micro jam, right? I think that like Fish is so good at finding that jam right away now, they can do it. And a perfect example from the second set is the mics, which I'm excited to talk about. But um, let's talk about the second set. Do you want to start us off, Mike? Uh, well, before I talk about the second set, you, you were talking about encores, and I think that's actually been another 2023 theme, is that they're not throwing away their encores anymore. Last night was a, you know, a multi-song encore. They've done a lot of three- and four-song encores. It's no longer just like a loving cup and everyone runs to the car. You know? I have a theory about that, actually, and it's pure speculation. But Fish has decidedly and pointedly taken their encores, which used to be a very... Like, Trey's talked about this before at, at length in the past in many interviews, where... He sees, when he writes a song, he knows what position in the set he wants it to be. Granted, there's flexibility. Uh, hence, character zero has appeared in the middle of both the first and second set, but is most often used as a set closer or an encore because he wrote it like that. And the encores this year have evolved into, like, Fish, of course, one of their tricks that we love so much and we fall for every time is defying expectation. Yeah. So the first time that they do an encore, where after the second song, they're still on stage. After the third song, they're still on stage. There's a very fishy element to that, but my theory as to why this year it's been consistently like that, and, and where they really, you know, it's been something they've explored. I have two, two, two concurrent uh, simultaneous theories. The first one is that, you know, last year, Trey jammed with My Morning Jacket uh, down in Mexico, and My Morning Jacket does... Uh, 
they do one set shows and their encores are arguably mini second sets. Where they, 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 they come out and they do 40 minutes. And I watched Trey on the side of the, of the, of the scaffolding down in Mexico and he was, he was full attention and so he saw that. Second of all, his hero, not Jerry, his, uh, his hero, Bruce Springsteen, has had one of his greatest tours ever this, this year. And Springsteen also is the mastermind of the 40-minute encore. Of, like, you come out and you do that, and, and Trey went at the garden. And so having that, you got to think that they may, that may have influenced them. But there, the, it, it, it's not a coincidence because it wasn't a one-time-only thing. It was a very thoughtful, you know, let's try, let's try making the encore longer. I have a different theory. Um, well, on HF Pod, we have a lot of arguments about the encore, and Jonathan and RJ complain about them and say they should just do longer sets, like it breaks up flow, breaks up jams, and you know, Brian and I have been defending the encore, and I think, I think they heard it, and we're like, yeah, encores rule. So you're probably right, but you know, <laughs> that's my theory. So we'll see. The pod does get results, but... Um, so highlights from second set. What'd you think, Mike? I mean, that Mike song was great. That really, I think everything that really uh, kicked off the second That's part of the, of the show. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I guess this kind of ties to the the encore, the encore argument, which is a funny tongue twister right there. Um, I think that actually, in addition to probably what Benji said, and you know. Classic rock bands, the encore is really like the second set in a lot of ways. They take a quick break and they come back and they, they do their extended encore, which um, is a lot of times like in My Morning Jacket where they maybe will have like a Jim James solo segment or some stuff that doesn't fit in the, in the flow of the main set. But um, I think especially when their jamming is a little um, tighter and more on the nose and there's like a flow between songs like there was last night, uh, I think that they just kind of go out and they're they're doing their full, um, their full statement of what they are releasing then. And then they realize, okay, this is a time to end it. We'll take a break. And then they come back and they say, oh, we still have 35 minutes before our uh, union curfew here. So we could do four songs. And, oh, we finished Week of Our Groove, that could, which finished the Mike's Groove. That could um, you know, finish our show. But we have a few more minutes. Let's do Santos because everyone's going to love that. Crazy. I mean, another thing that Tom Marshall told, uh, said uh, on Undermine last year was that when we, we, when we were doing the uh, 97 shows, show by show, um, uh, for the fall tour. Amazing series. Tom, <laughs> thank you. Tom, Tom at one point, thank Tom, actually. And, thanks, uh, Tom. And thanks, thank Fish. But, uh, thanks, Fish. But uh, he said there were some times when, you know, they do the four song second set, but they also, there were times when they just played a lot, where there's just a lot of music that they played. And that if you look at the times, it, it goes over their normal time. And every time Tom would say, that tells you that Trey really wanted to play. You know? And yeah. I feel like some of these encores, like Trey's having so much fun this year that he gets up there and he does an encore and he's like, let's, like, why stop now? Wikipod was supposed to probably close it because it's Wikipod and it's like, no, we, we got time for one more. Yeah, so great. Um, I'm excited to talk about this monster wave of hope. Talking about new songs inspiring the band. This song is such a heavy hitter. I don't do sports, but I think the batting average for this song is through the roof. Um, Brian Brinkman's gonna be so proud of me for that reference. Yeah, Wave of Hope, monster jam vehicle, and I think it's perfectly placed after the howling. The howling just absolutely crushes as a second set opener. If you don't like this song, you don't like to have fun. So um, the howling just ripped as a fun opener. Yeah, 
and straight into Wave of Hope. And you know, you sit there and you hear those opening chords, you're like, this is gonna go. And it did, 23 minutes, I think. Um, big jam, thoughts on the jam? What'd you think, Benji? Uh, I thought it was great, I thought, it, it, I thought that's when I had those thoughts of like dialed in from my, you know, reverberating my brain. It felt like a dialed in jam in that, you know, there, there's, there's two sides of it. On the one hand, I thought, and I listened back to it today and I thought it was phenomenal. So it's a great jam. It's worth a re-listen, uh, you know, and more than one. But there used to be a time in 1.0 where, you know, and it's why we have, and I guess even in 3.0 and 4.0, we have the Tahoe Tweezer, right? We, we have names for, for where something happened and when. And I feel like something that, I feel like when they're doing such epic jams every night, you know, that almost... You can't that, that do it anymore. You can't do it anymore. And so last night was like, it was a great second song, second set jam. Like, yeah. that's what it was. But it was phenomenal. If you listen back, it was, it, was, it was virtually flawless. And it had all my favorite qualities, including not the not dialed in part where they're searching. And then yeah. you, you hear them search and then you hear them find. And it's when you hear them search and then they ripcord that I don't love. But, but you hear them search and then you hear them find. And last night, they, it, it, they, maybe it took them 80 shows. No, it took them probably about 50, 40 or 50. But when they get on stage at MSG, if you look at the old videos, if you look at videos of them in Hampton in 97, when they get on stage, the energy is so intense because they're so intense. And they go out there and like trade, they're flailing around and they're very kinetic and, and all that. And at MSG, when uh, they walk... 90s tray. 90s yes, tray. please. But when they walk on stage now at MSG, the, the world's most famous arena, they walk on there as if Trey's walking into his living room. You I know. know. Hey, I'm going to pick up this guitar. I'm going to play for you guys. Just like if we were sitting on his couch going, hey, you guys, here, check this tune out. You know, so relaxed. And that's what that jam was. It was relaxed. I agree. They sounded so patient. It reminds me, too, of the opening night of the residency this summer there. Second song in, Giant Wave of Hope Jam, right? Like, the, they are, this is their home court. This is like seeing fish on home court. It's the best. I do want to talk about that Mike song, though, because, like, oh, my God, 10 minutes, and it was my favorite part of the show. Do you have thoughts on it there? What was the crowd like? The minute they jumped into those first chords, everyone, you know, it, it's just, you know, in unison starts, you know, getting into the energy and everything. And going into simple was, was obviously, you know, a, a classic move and, of course, nods to the garden as well and that feeling of uh, home and comfort, the skyscrapers and whatnot. And I think there's something about, you know, a, a song like Mike's song, which is just such a key part of the catalog that every single person there is just like waiting for those peak moments and you could feel the reaction all around you, which, you know, couch touring is awesome, but it's one of those things that once you're in the room, you feel that energy there. Even a song that you've heard so many times live feels like this unique special experience. Sounded different too last night. There was a lot of textures that they were doing kind of inside between the lyrics that were just really strong and interesting. I felt them playing with a lot of different sounds. What do you think of the mics, Benji? Uh, I thought the mics was phenomenal. It was the highlight of the second set, despite the fact that the the, the monster jam yeah. was you know was, came earlier. But when they went into mics last night, I I was reminded of like you know the I think it was Philadelphia '94, the opening night of the New Year's run where they did this great mites and they had a little drummer jam in there. So there's like this history. And of course, mites has been, mites in the week of hockey has been the New Year's, the, the New Year's theme before, you know, pr twice previously. Uh, and so I, you know, th that, that was going through my mind, the history. At MSG, 80 shows in, especially so many of them being New Year's runs, it, there's a history there that's built in. 
And I don't think and they can do any, like we were talking about the simple. I don't think that they can do simple at Madison Square Garden without the context. You know, we've totally. got skyscrapers because we've got a band, you know. Uh, and so that's what was going through my mind at the beginning. And then, of course, the jam just had this endless possibility. And simple was absolutely the, the, the way to go with it. Yeah, I agree. There was a lot of those fun kind of like playbacks to different songs in the sets last night too, which I think speaks to that kind of like openness and freedom and playfulness. There was like no man teases in some of the jams and then there was the howling in the beginning of Mike's song. Like they're really, the, it's a, so the, fun a, when they a do that. A tweezer reprise adjacent jam that reminded me of in Bathtub Gin 12, 5, 90, 95. I don't believe I know that off the top of my head, but I do. I'm impressed. Um, but it, they, they do the exact same jam and they did it last night. I think it was in the Mike's, it was in the second set. But, uh, but it's, it's undeniable. It's, it, you'll, you'll hear it immediately when you go back to the re-listen. But when they didn't go back in a mites and they closed the set, it was a moment of tenseness because it was either they're going to encore with it or else they're going to close the, the whole run with it or they're going to open up the second night with it. Oh, that would be crazy. Yeah, I know. Um, so what are the expectations for tonight? What do people think? What's, anybody got some predictions? I think we're going to hear a lot of those or some of those new songs that uh, were debuted in May and were, you know, such signatures of the, the couple tours they've done this year so far. Yeah. about you, Benji? I mean, I don't have expectations, but I have hopes. Ooh, dreams, you share them? aspirations, hopes. visions. Tell, tell us your hopes uh, and dreams. But uh, my hopes and dreams for tonight, I, I, I want new stuff. Uh, you know, I, I, I'd love to hear The Well. Um, I, I perpetually want them to do Perseid live as a band, and I think that that might be the New Year's, you know, on New Year's if they do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I want to hear the new stuff, and I want to hear them jam in a way where, here's my number one wish for the night. I, it I, want, I want it to be that in five years now, if somebody plays me two to five minutes of a jam in the type two part of it, that I'll instantly know that it was tonight. So you know, 12, 30, 19 tweezers, what you want tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm thinking too, like something like the Oblivion or, or Oblivion or the Well, just something that goes super deep, Pillow Jets, something, Ryan Storm, you want some Pillow Jets tonight? Um, yeah, I think, I think something new that goes really and deep would be type, fun. Type twos, lots type of type twos. twos. We, yeah. just, we just want the jams. We just want jams. Cut the fat. Yeah. Um, before we bring our guest on, anyone have any predictions for the gag? Said it a little bit, but well, I mean, I don't have a, I have zero prediction for the gag, and I thought that last year's gag should have been this year's gag mathematically. Mm -hmm. But right, uh, right. but that being said, I mean, I think that Percy had since Ford people came out on YouTube, it was just like you know when with the pirate ship with, where they they write a song for a specific reason, as we were saying earlier, and I thought that Ford people was the perfect New Year's. You know, it's about moving forward. It's it's about it's old lane sign fishified. You know, yeah. and so they're with a with a love and light message as well. So I I think it's the perfect song for for a, a New Year's, uh, and I'm hoping I'm hoping for that. So we're not getting Game Henge. Is that just like well, I feel like my 1.0 self when I'm like, are they gonna play Game Henge? And then just just gonna get dashed. I, I, I'm, my hopes. I, I'm never a Game Henge. I'm never I never predict or call a Game Henge. Yeah, and you I'm can. always And I'm always like, okay, like the sphere. No. But, but that being said, it was on, when my friend pointed out that the new seating chart are, is a rhombus, you know, on the seating chart for the floor, that was a very interesting and notable coincidence. Amazing. Well, it looks like we've got to wrap up so you can get our guest up. But 
Thanks so much for doing this HF pod with me. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for doing HF pod, by the way. It's been a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal series, a phenomenal year for you guys. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash helping friendly. That's distrokid with a capital K dot com slash VIP slash helping friendly for a special offer. Thanks, DistroKid. Let's, br- let's bring on the dude here. Yeah, let's bring the dude. Uh, well, well ben, Benji and I will uh, we'll keep this short since I know we all want to hear a lot of music uh, from Dude Life Band, but Benji and I hosted a podcast uh, for Relics for a few years from 2005, 2009 called Cold Turkey. We were kind of the uh, BC era of podcasting. I mean, there was not, it was really not a very well-known thing back then. I, I remember. Know? We invented podcasting. You know, uh, well, I we, wish we would have made some money you know, that we way. Did, we didn't invent podcasting. We, we may have invented the internet, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> Um, but but uh, I, re- I read in a Wired magazine article that there is, uh, this was when iPods were still uh, the new, hot new thing. And uh, Wired magazine had a, an article about how podcasting, how with, with iPods, and that's where podcasting comes from, it's broadcasting to your iPod. And so with the iPods came the, new, the possibility of a new media because you could have a radio show that you could download and listen to on demand. So I called up Mikey, and I, and I think I sent you the article, but I remember calling you up and saying, we should totally get on this because we'll be in the, we'll, we'll be in the wave of the future. And of course, we ended it a few years before podcasting really, really blew up. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, we, and we, uh, who was our very first guest? Les Claypool? I think Les Claypool was our first guest, and we did it at pretty much every festival that was around back then. We were, we were kind of like the inverse of pavement in that everyone who was on the podcast, you know, reached fame and fortune, and we just kind of stayed where we were. Uh, we had Taylor Swift's, not Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift's composer and producer, Jack Antonoff. And Aaron Desner. We had multiple Taylor Swift composer uh, yeah, producers right. we had back the in the day. National there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, anyway, let's bring the dude. Welcome. Yeah. If you guys don't know, this is the dude of life. 
Not to be confused with any other dudes, dude. And, and the dude has a, has a tradition or a new tradition of uh, doing some shows here at Hill Country around fishes, runs, and now you have two new bands. So we were wanting to talk a little bit about them. We have the Dude Life Band and then we have Space Armadillo. So can you give us a little background on those two projects and both what we're going to hear tonight and what else is uh, percolating out there? Hello, hello. Yeah, I'm so excited about both of these bands and both these bands, in my mind, Musicianship is unbelievable through the roof, and do the life band. We're just best friends, and and just doing what we love, and it, it's uh, really turned into something even bigger than we expected. But it's going to get even bigger than that. Right, right now, Benji Eisen is our manager, our, the great Benji Eisen, <laughs> and uh, Min Talent Agency. Which means that all my questions are going to be softball. <laughs> Uh, no one Benji, that's not true, but <laughs> it'll probably throw faster for fastballs, but, uh, but Mint Talent Agency is amazing. We're so honored to be a part of their team, so uh, we have uh, two albums going, one with Bryce Goggin in New York City with Due to Life Band, and another with my buddy Matt down in South Carolina at Coast Records, so it, it, a lot of exciting stuff is on the way, and I think you'll, uh, I think you'll appreciate what we're doing today. So, dude, in the great tradition of cold turkey, I want to ask you, going back to, I was thinking about this, the first Dude of Life show that I saw was in, uh, and I never told you this, but it's true, uh, Iron Horse Music Hall in 1994, uh, in the spring of 1994, and uh, I snuck backstage because I had some good hash in my pocket, and, uh, but I, but I, but I remember that you, you, your stage persona then, as the Dude of Life, you had a cape, you had a whole thing. And then when we were talking uh, like a week or two ago, you, you said that the, you know, I was batting around ideas for, for a video with you and, and, and you said that the cape is, is under a vault in a museum somewhere or something like that. <laughs> can, can you talk about so, that so, yeah, evolution? I, I still do have some of the capes and things in my closet, but at this point in time, I mean, I'm, I'm letting the music do the talking because I'm, I'm so, proud of where the music's at and I don't need any gimmicks like that anymore so not that I won't show them again in a few months or weeks or minutes but for now that's uh, the way we're gonna roll you mentioned these are your, your, your best buds and you've been playing around the you know the New York area a lot and you played Garcia's up at our fearless leader Pete Shapiro's venue uh, a couple days ago when did you first start you know you know, putting your energy into this new, this new version of the Dude to Life Band. Because, of course, you had the, the band in the 90s, which Fishman was involved in, and, and uh, put various combos ever since. So, yeah, there have been a number of incarnations of the band, but, but Charlie de St. Fowl, who's right over there, we've been working since like, 2010, and things have morphed around over time, but the lineup we have now is, I wouldn't change a thing. It's, it's, it's like a dream come true. And, you know, we, we're just... Uh, We've got a chemistry, which is the bottom line. If you don't have chemistry, if you're not having fun doing what you're doing, then you're doing the wrong thing. So, uh, dude, you know, there's something else taking a, a quick left turn for a second. Something that you told me on the phone of, a few weeks ago and uh -oh. has been, <laughs> but it, it's been, you know, I've been thinking about it and it's so interesting to me. So you wrote the, a song that I happen to love. Well, you more than one, but one of them is called Sanity. And... Uh, from the very beginning, when I first got into Fish, one of the things I loved was when I heard this, the, the sanity that, that is on Junta. 
Um, and, and then also on early live tapes, it was, it was something that, about it that was humorous to me. And then you told me that when you wrote it, it actually wasn't, it wasn't quite the song that Fish has made it out to be. Can you talk about that for a second? Yeah, sure. I think, you know, sometimes songs take weird turns when they're performed, but the bottom line is when I was writing Sanity in, in uh, high school and in college, I was going through a dark time. So I was, I was really in a dark place, and so it was written from a very, very, very dark place. And, but I love the way Fish will take that and, and turn it into something humorous, but th that combination is what kind of works. But at the same time, I did another version of it with Space Armadillo where it's just the straight up original version. So it's a, a little different. And also along those lines, even a song like Fluffhead, for many years people were like, oh, Fluffhead, that's a silly song. But that was written about my brother who had, had he passed away from cancer in 1983. And when I, was a, when I was young, 18 years old, he had these little fluff balls on his head from the chemo. And I, I couldn't say the words to him. I wanted to say, Dick, get those fluff balls off your head. That's what I really wanted to say to him, but I didn't want to hurt his feelings. But now, all these years later, now I have 20,000 people screaming, fluffy, fluffy, fluffy head. Get those fluff balls off of your head. And so it's really, uh, that song is about my brother and, and, and weird the way the songs I couldn't say to him are the songs that thousands of people scream to me when that song is being played. There's a catharsis involved with that for sure, but that, that's amazing. Uh, Megan, why don't, why don't well, we pass the mic to you for an HF Pod sponsored question? <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. This is so exciting for me. I remember listening to your music when I was 17 years old and just absolutely loving it. And I love what you're talking about, about your songwriting and how your lyrics can really span from like something like a dinner and a movie to something really intense, like, you know, you think about like the show of life. And I'm curious about your songwriting process. Wow, that's a, that's a, you know, how, how much time do we have? No, but, but at the end of the day, sometimes, you know, an idea will hit me and then I'll, I'll put it to a melody and then get like the acorn of the concept, right? You know, and then from there, then it just starts building. It's like you got to get that acorn of an idea and then it kind of grows organically. And, and I, I think for me, like songs are these, these organic creatures. Some live and become, you know, it starts as a little sapling and some might become a California redwood once in a while. But a lot of them they become these little saplings that die off and nothing happens. So the songs have life and, and that's the bottom line. And you don't always know what's going to, make it to that next level, you know, but there's a certain uh, magic there and, you know, power of the muse, you know. Can you actually, since Megan brought up Show of Life, something that I always want, I, I love that song. Uh, and it's, it, to me, it's not only anthemic, but it, there's a part of it that it's like so aut almost autobiographical, you know, for everybody when you hear it, because you look around, especially at a fish show for fans like ourselves that have been going year after year, decade after decade, and you look around and you, and, and, and you see your lyrics in that room and you're like, oh my God, like I, wanna, I, I wanna thank you all. Can you talk about composing that specific song and, and about that, that specific, since like you just said, every time it's, you have the acorn and then 
and it, how, how it comes to fruition can be any number of paths. How did that one come? Well, it's interesting because I wrote that song, it's like around 2010, and I was going through a tough time when I was teaching in, in the Bronx, and you know, music therapy, working with kids with special needs for 14 years now, but at the very beginning, and it's, it's an amazing thing, um, but to, to answer your question, uh, I was going through a tough time with the administrators, and you know, if you're in a bad situation with administrators, your, your life could be hell on earth, and so I was in a dark place, and, uh, and, and Trey was also going through a dark time with his rehab, and Thinking about, I was in a dark place again, and, and some good stuff came out of it. But I just started thinking about born out of that, pretty much. I'll give it a applause for that. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, a, a lot of your songs are, you know, at least begin very autobiographical. And uh, last year, around this time, you uh, kind of helped facilitate a. Uh, a reunion with the original Susie Greenberg, and she got a, a shout out on stage with with Fish. How did uh, how did that come to be? That uh, that she got to her first Fish show, you know, at that point, thirty nine years into the band's uh, career. That was really fun because you know, Susan, she's actually here today. <laughs> uh, she, maybe she didn't get here yet, but but but, but she, uh, she she's planning on coming down. But anyway. You know, she, uh, she, we had this song, and she was not a fish head. And so I decided I wanted to work with her on, a, on a, another version of the song from her perspective. And instead of the chorus being Susie, Susie Greenberg, it was going to be Stevie, Stevie Pollock. Yeah. And we did that, and, and, and it was really, it was great to let her get her say, yeah. you know. But it was, uh, it was super fun. And one of these days, we'll break that out again. But you know, it's kind of like, you, know, you can't break it out that often, once in a while. <laughs> well, dude, I think this is the time in our, in our program where, where some actual live music comes into play. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, everyone, let's, uh, let's do a quick changeover, and let's get the Dude of Life band up on stage. Woo! You, you've been listening first to HF Pod, and then to Cold Turkey. Osiris, Relics, Dude of Life Band, uh, let's... We're definitely getting the crimes of the mind tonight now, yeah. so yeah. Thanks, <laughs> guys. Right. So on with the show of life. Osiris. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast 
called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.